Now let's head over to Sylvan Park Restaurant and Truman Jones. Good morning, Rutherford County. My old buddy Greg Tucker. You know, yeah, I've been on, you, vac- you I've really been on take, vacation. Yeah, you've been. Uh, we take, uh, uh, you know, if, uh, things. We don't really see things like they really are until we miss them, do we? There, there's something about uh, friendship, and when you don't get a chance to be around each other, it's pretty tough, especially on somebody like me, because if I'm not talking and listening, I don't know what in the world I would do. Well, for the last couple of months, I never know what day of the week it is, because I always pegged on Monday morning. That's a good thing about being a farmer, though. Yeah, well, that's true, uh, but uh, it's been a, been a curious period. And I got an interesting phone call during the weekend. Uh, reminded me of a dear friend that we had lost, Dan Whittle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Pat, his wife, mm-hmm. uh, his widow, called me. And unintended consequences are unanticipated. I hope it was not intended. Uh, the impact on small business of that lockdown. Yeah. <clears throat> There's a... Well, there was and may still be for a short time a very popular donut shop on Lowry Street there in downtown Smyrna. And uh, uh, I think his first name was Mel. i never known his last name. That was his business. And uh, when they shut everything down, of course, he lost most of his business. And it's interesting because his every week his, uh, what do they say, day to get in the black, uh, yeah. It was Sunday, Sunday morning, because several of the major churches in that area uh, had standing orders for several dozen donuts for the Sunday school program and such. And when the churches actually quit the Sunday services there for a period, it put his business in deep, deep trouble. <clears throat> and uh, they talk about things coming back to normal, but <clears throat> a business like that, you never recover. Yeah, all the business you lost because people aren't going to stockpile donuts or whatever it may be. So uh, the story. So he is, made those donuts fresh on Sunday. Yeah, morning. yeah. Wow. Or made them Saturday night. Yeah. And uh, in any event, Pat said that uh, looks like he's going to shut down, and uh, he's he's enjoying a little bit of a last run. People trying to enjoy the donuts before he's out of business, but these things shouldn't have happened. Uh, and surely if we go around again, we're not going to lock down everything, including the churches. Uh, there's just too much fallout from that. But there are some things that mean so much to you, uh, Greg, that, um, you're going to find a way to make those things successful. Just like our church yesterday, it was, um, we, we, uh, have moved our time to eight o'clock in the morning. That's at Crescent Church of Christ. I'm trying to find and the a reason, cooler weather. If, <laughs> you, you adjust to those things to to you you like I said earlier when I talk about you and me, uh, you miss those type of friendships that mean so much to you. And when they're absent in your lives, um, everything seems to go downhill. But uh, our our preacher yesterday did such a great job in uh, making us feel comfortable and, and, and yet preaching the, the type of sermon that, that you need to, to 
make you feel good. You know, when you go to church, like you do, Mr. Ed does, uh, and, and, and your son and, and uh, daughter-in-law and, and, and the little princess, I mean, there, there's something special when you can all get together like we did yesterday and enjoyed each other's company and especially enjoyed the Lord's company. That's that's the big thing. But uh, there are ways that get you past this, this uh, ridiculous pandemic, the way it's been set up. And and uh, that that's what's made America strong all these years. It, it, it's our relationship with each other. And, and I, I think we're starting to see that come out. And I think that's uh, part of what we lost that uh, will be slow recovering because we are creatures of pattern. Yeah. And, have, and the people that we know and deal with regularly yeah. is part of our routine. And when you interrupt that routine, yeah, you know yourself. Psychologically, it throws you. And it takes a while to, to rebuild and come back from something like that. I know that's certainly true with me. You know, a lot of this that's going on right now brought attention to the fact that we're starting to lose our relationship with the churches, and especially the younger people. And and I think uh, maybe this brought us back into the light again where uh, we can get back to some kind of normality because for whatever reason, the, the pandemic... Uh, came into our lives to kind of, um, I, I don't know for what reason, teach us a lesson or whatever, but there are some things that mean a whole lot more than others. Well, if you look on, look for the bright side or look for the silver lining, the uh, scheduling where uh, those who are trying to advise us how to handle the pandemic talk about limiting exposure. So my son has put his... Uh, firm his company Mm -hmm. on a rotating basis so that only uh, half of them are in the office on a given day Mm -hmm. including himself which means my son is at home uh, an extra day or so every week and uh, on his initiative we decided it was time to get the old cars running Oh wow! Yeah, which I have—I admit I've neglected uh, selling, sold two, three, but still have uh, one, two, three, three. And uh, he said, "Let's uh, let's get them going." We started with the Volkswagen, 1969 Volkswagen, in pristine condition, except it had been sitting for about two years without Wait being a run. A 1969 Volkswagen yeah. in pristine. Uh, yep, condition? Absolutely. Wow. Except it was dirty. Uh, Is the motor in the front or the back? No, the, are you kidding? <laughs> are you kidding? Uh, and the easiest thing to work on because you open that back hood and there's the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, right there. Well, he had it running in short order. Did have to get a new battery. Got it going. Now, before you get any further, I heard that that car brought a lot of attention. Well, we took it out yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife hadn't driven it. It's her car. Mm-hmm. It's the first car she ever bought, and she still got it. So we took a drive, and we drove all the way around uh, Jacob's Hollow mm-hmm. and then drove up into Burke's Hollow. And One uh, of my favorite places. Yeah, and I, every time we mention it, I always say, 
that's about as far back in time as you can go yeah. and still be in Rutherford County. <laughs> <clears throat> but we drove up and uh, stopped at the cave in order to back and go around. The fella stepped out of the woods up there and looked up and says, can I look at your car? And uh, my wife, I don't think, understood the first two or three times he said that. Mm-hmm. But eventually she got the... One of our longtime local boys. Right? <clears throat> yeah, one of the climbers. Yeah. And, and uh, they know their cars, too. They do. And uh, he was real interested in the car and uh, said he had the remnants of two up on his place, up on the ridge over the over. Was the he hollow. on that top ridge? Is that where he lived? I think he's on the ridge up behind the cave. Yeah. Or above the cave or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we had a nice chat, and I teased him. I says, now, the climber's kind of the rough crowd troublemakers back when i was young and he says yeah that's us <laughs> i'm proud of it <laughs> and proud of it uh and i know they do have quite a reputation with cars and driving and such but that's one of the fun things about the old cars you meet people mm-hmm. you stop somewhere and meet people uh i was driving the uh 69 also a 69 cadillac the other day and i was just watching the heads turn the young people hardly blinked, and uh, just another car going by. But someone my age would stop and look and wave, and you know they had their own personality. Yeah, and uh, you know that's because you relate to them. Yeah, uh, you know you remember that uh, I had one of those, or Daddy had one of those, or you know something like that. So, you know, Dexter Adams, you you saw Dexter in here this yeah, morning. Yeah. And, and, and Dexter and I uh, graduated in 59 together. And it just shows you how things change. You, you know, you have rules and regulations. We graduated in 1959, and I remember we all had places that we were destined to go that night. Well, we... All right, who's messing with the radio, guys? You, you just cut I'm in getting, on us. I'm getting you twice. Yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, please, please do something up there. Well, anyway, we had all headed out to Nashville because that's where all the action was back in 1959. East Nashville. Uh, no, <laughs> no, you better not. Actually, we headed down uh, Murfreesboro Road, oh, yeah, and we... there was a club there, a nightclub. Plantation club. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really know about it. I've just yeah, heard yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah, you just heard about it. Here we are, guys, 17 years old. Some of them were, some of us were 17, most of us, but nobody was actually 21 years old. And we got to go in, and, and, and we had the benefit of being in a nightclub. That's something that we shouldn't have been in for another uh, four or five years. And, and, and I think back to that time, and... The good Lord was looking after us. He, I mean, he sure didn't want us in that club. But I was going to say, he it, didn't it, say it was, it, I tell you what, uh, I, I still remember those days just like it was yesterday. I, I thought you were going to tell us which car you rode in. <laughs> a 50-something if it was in 59. It's 59, and, and I can't remember which one of us drove. And I'm not going to mention their names because maybe some of them's. Uh, still would not let let their families uh, know what, what they were doing on that particular night. Well, now, the Plantation Club had, among clubs, a pretty decent reputation. They had one very famous dancer there. 
Well, that was the dancing. Yeah, oh, well, yeah. What kind of dances? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she had a pet cat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, me. The world never changes, really, does it? I hope not. <laughs> Sometimes I worry, but I hope not. Yeah, well, let's see. Uh, my son also got the 54 Chevrolet going. Now we're talking about Haven. Haven, yeah. yes. He went from the Volkswagen, which was an easy challenge, mm-hmm. when I bought the new battery. And I gave him a new battery for the 54. The 54 is the only, is is the other that has a long family history. My mm-hmm. grandfather actually bought it in late 53, new car. And it also has been reconditioned uh, when we were doing the shows and such. But it had been sitting a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, he and his daughter went out in the car driving around after he got it going and got off some distance and the car stopped on him. And I said, you know, I suspect there's an awful lot of trash in that fuel tank. Well, he got everything running on the engine and decided to take a risk. Sure enough, the fuel line fouled. And uh, they drug the car back behind one of his other cars and then pushed it into his into his drive. Then he crawled under it, took out the uh, uh, fuel tank, and, yeah, just like we expected, it was full of trash. Uh, but it's been fun. We've got... Uh, one more car, the 35 Chevrolet, that we hadn't worked on yet. But I can't you know, even remember what a 35 Chevrolet looked like. Well, watch the Untouchables. You'll see something close. Uh, uh, anyway, that's been the blessing of the pandemic is that I've had my son more time to do the things we enjoy doing. So You guys, he, he inherited a lot of, of your abilities, hasn't he? I know he's he's taking it to another level, but you guys, uh, well, the best, are you sure you're not related to Bud Mitchell? <laughs> the best part of working with him is that now he says, let me do that. Oh. Saying, oh, yeah, sure, go ahead. <laughs> so I can just watch. Yeah. you got a great family. I just love them to death. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun. Speaking of family issues, uh, I forget whether we talked about this before, but we got an interesting uh Kind of a dilemma. I mean, the proper use of the word dilemma is something you cannot resolve. Now, this is going to get resolved. But we've got two very prominent families in uh, Rutherford County who claim the same grave space at the cemetery. Now, how can that be? Uh, Well, it goes all the way back to an 1890 purchase of lots. And obviously the people that bought lots back then are long gone. And there has to be a tracing down to see. And in most cases, the family works all that out. We never hear anything about it. Well, this is a complex family going, both of them, way, 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 way back. The names will be very familiar. And uh, there's about five graves that are in dispute. And they, I'm uh, on the board, vice chairman of the board for the Evergreen Cemetery. And uh, they approached us about resolving it. Well, I took a look at it, and it's anybody's guess. Uh, Both sides have, I think, uh, arguments of merit. Uh, Is the bloodline intertwined with these two families? Yeah, marriage, blood, whatever. Okay. Uh, Is it like, say, if I were to go out and purchase six lots, uh, over over at, at Evergreen, 
and it's just pretty much a, the family group. It's clearly, is that the way it's set it's up? It's clearly within the family. Yeah. There's two sections, but they were both purchased yeah. same time. So, uh, But anyway, I thought, well, I know the best way to resolve that without uh, putting the cemetery in, a, in the midst of a fight. Mm-hmm. And that is to go into court on what we call an interpleader, where one party goes in and, and initiates the uh, proceeding and then brings in the two parties that are at odds mm-hmm. and then steps back. So those two then litigate it at their time and expense before the court while the initiator steps back and, you know, sounds a little... drive the cost of the, the, yeah. the grave sites upward. Well, uh, we, we avoid the cemetery having to go to a lot of expense, like mm-hmm. you're suggesting. Uh, it's kind of a Pontius Pilate. We we wash our hands. So that you you know you two work it out, and uh, but then we realized that uh, Evergreen Cemetery today is not a legal entity. It's a division or a department, you'd say, of the city. So it's the city that is the party that would have to you know do anything. Mm-hmm. Or it would have to authorize its subdivision to do it, or or whatever, or wait until it gets sued. Uh, so I have talked to Adam Tucker, no relation, but a, a good good fellow. He's the city attorney, and I said, "Tell me which way you want to go on this." We have had pending now for quite some time the transfer of Evergreen Cemetery to a tax exempt non-profit cemetery corporation which would make it a separate legal entity but that hasn't been completed so uh, we're just hoping nobody dies before it gets all resolved that would be a little awkward yeah sometimes going through the legal processes there's there's no a lot not a lot of common sense is there uh, sometimes you're better off uh, why people cannot uh, uh, get with their family and friends. Isn't that beautiful? It's pretty music, but yeah. I don't know what's going on. Is this, this isn't cemetery music, I hope. No. no. <coughs> but, but, but anyway, I get so aggravated with the legal system a lot of times because the cost is, is just... It just spirals upward, and 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 the people because of of maybe uh, um, I don't know what the exact word wordage would be that would represent this, but but they get so inflamed with with their relationship with others that uh, they ca- they can't see the forest for the trees, you might say. And you being an attorney, don't you get aggravated a lot of times? having to deal with those particular issues that um, maybe it only fills the pockets of the attorneys and people like that. Well, that, that, that doesn't that really bother you? A, in my opinion, a good attorney, when he's approached by someone who thinks they need legal help, is to go through it and advise them that uh, your route that you're considering is going to be more cost and trouble. And, yeah, uh, you know, uh, I know there are hungry lawyers that'll take the, take any suit, 
but uh, yeah, most lawyers, I think, try to advise clients that this is not the best path for you to follow uh, because the expense, the time delay, the frustrations, the procedures, that kind of thing. Did you hear uh, when I, I uh, we were talking about Reeves Sane uh, Drugstore the other day? I think you were listening, weren't you? I listened to part of it, yeah. Yeah, and... Rick Sane was on, and he was explaining a lot of the things that get involved in your daily business that almost is so destructible. And when you have those type things, because right now uh, with the pandemic and things, people are looking more into the drug uh, industry than they probably ever have. And all the things that are involved with what we're going through and what a small business like, uh, well, it was small when it started, but like Reeves saying, um, people get involved in it that really have no uh, 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 physical interest whatsoever in the business, but they come out smelling like a rose. And you talk about having their pockets filled. Uh, that's one of the things that I feel like has been one of the major impacts on, on our country, especially small businesses. And, and, and they're con people uh, that have uh, license to steal. And, uh, I, 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 you know, not everybody is like you where you have a heart and a mind to work with things and take care of them in the person's particular interest. But what when... We've been waiting for Reesane to come back for a long time now. And basically, it's been tied up in court mm. in a system that really makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, Reesane, that's a, an entity, a name that's uh, so familiar. Everybody around, knows. Yeah, been around as long as I can remember. Yeah. And uh, I was disappointed when I... Understood that it was going to disappear. Uh, uh, it was bought out by Fred's. Fred's went under because they yeah. couldn't manage it properly. Yeah. And, and then everybody got their hands on it. And it's it's been so long that we, we've been waiting for that small business yeah. that we all love to come back. Well, talking about legal uh, issues reminds me, before uh, we shut down for a while, we had mentioned a curious situation out at Sam Davis yeah. home and that property. A little dam uh, that a third party, Cumberland River Compact, seeking uh, authority to tear the dam out in order to generate what's called mitigation credits, which they can sell to those who want to uh, do something. There's another one of those situations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Mike Waller. uh, He's a great guy. Conscientious uh, citizen down there. Uh, has successfully appealed the permit. And, of course, there are a lot of steps involved, but for one of the earliest to get the Tennessee Department of whatever to issue a permit for uh, removing the dam. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mike has uh, gotten an appeal filed and uh, has a hearing scheduled for September 22nd. So we know that nothing's going to go forward until that hearing. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the permit is only one step. Uh, there's also the question of the property owner's consent, which mm-hmm. apparently is lacking at the moment. 
you know, as the county historian, I, I'm a little concerned, although we have established that uh, the dam was not there during the period that is celebrated, the Sam Davis uh, lifetime period. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was actually uh, built after it went into state ownership. Uh, but I do know that the Sam Davis Memorial Association struggles financially, as many of our nonprofit uh, particularly historic sites do. And uh, these mitigation credits are worth somewhere between a million and a million and a half dollars. Wow. And uh, the way it was going, uh, none of that was coming back to the Memorial Association. And uh, I, my feeling is we need to step back and uh, renegotiate this so that there's some benefit and support that comes not only to the Sam Davis property, but the other property owner is the Rutherford County School System. That also, I think, uh, should be concerned about uh, possible contribution to, I believe it's the middle school uh, that's on the property across the creek there. So watching that closely, uh, I don't think the administrative hearing in September will change anything except give people time to kind of rethink what's going on there. I'd like to see that work out in such a way that the uh, Memorial Association mm-hmm. gains some fiscal support there because uh, there's quite a number of maintenance projects on the property that uh, need to be tended to. Would, would, would it be out of the question for the city of Smyrna to have an ownership with the, the Sam Davis property because it, it, it would be a valuable asset to the city of Smyrna. Well, it, it uh, need not change ownership to do that. It's owned by the state, it's yeah. state property. <clears throat> and I suspect if the city got more aggressive about uh, using it as a tourism, because mm-hmm. it, it, it is a big tourist attraction as it is, uh, but it, uh I have said this and been criticized for it, but Smyrna has not embraced the Sam Davis uh, history uh, property as I would like to see it. Uh, up here we have Oakland's, and there's a very, very strong uh, volunteer association that supports Oakland's. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Smyrna just has not really embraced it the way I wish they would. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, that reminds me, name changes. I got a letter. Of a, I donated some books that had been given to me to uh, the library here in Murfreesboro. And I think I even inscribed it to Lineball Library. I got a nice thank you note. One of the thank you notes came from the Rutherford County Library. That's on the envelope, mm-hmm. Rutherford County Library. When I got it, I thought, oh, wait a minute, what's this? And uh, I need to inquire because I just noticed it yesterday if the name of the library has been formally changed from Lineball, which was an original contributor to uh, the library back in the 1940s. I've written about it in detail in one or two of my books. Uh, And if it has been formally changed, I hope it's uh, got some reason other than dropping the line ball name. There's been so much, you know, lately with 
people wanting to change names, take down signs, take down flags, remove monuments yeah. because of some detail in uh, the history. And uh, I'll be curious to learn more about the name change of our library, which has been Lineball Library almost my entire life. 1948, I believe, is when it was That's all I ever remember up, yeah. when I would go as a young kid. Yeah, and it's been in one, two, three, four different locations over that time. Um, it has always been the Lineball Library system. I always wonder, uh, what gets in someone's mind to want to change names of history? You know, we, we've had that all these years, and and most of us know that uh, uh, that's how you learn about things, and that's how you learn how we got to what we are today. And And then you want to start changing those things. Most of these people, I guarantee you, uh, uh, have no idea with that particular monument, wherever it is, why it's there and, and, and why it brought up a certain period in our country. And uh, sometimes I wonder if if people are just reacting to other individuals because it doesn't seem like that that would... I, I know when they were trying to do away with General Forrest's uh, name on, at the university, I'll guarantee you almost 100% of the kids that were going to school there, they didn't have a clue what it was and what it meant. I know. And even those that were very worked up about it were acting on uh, misinformation uh, and refusing to you know, learn more about it as yeah. you can you can recall you remind me this doesn't relate directly to rutherford county except it was all on our shelves uh the story of nancy green nancy green a black woman was some have uh positive was probably the first black millionaire in the united states one of the first wow she was uh an extraordinary cook uh, and personality, and was working for a judge uh, up in uh, Illinois, somewhere up in that area, originally from Kentucky. And uh, a uh, manufacturer of a retail product wanted someone to be the image uh, for their product and uh, learned through the judge of this particular woman. He says she's great personality. She relates extremely well. And uh, besides that, she's a master cook. I guarantee you, ninety percent of the people listening right now will know who that is. Yeah, Nancy Green was her was her name. Yeah, uh, she uh, was approached, and she cut a good deal for her. As I said, she was shrewd, and uh, she uh, began to appear around the country promoting the products. And I believe it was the uh, St. Louis uh, Exposition which is a great big World's Fair kind of thing back at the turn of the century. They set her up in a, in a booth, and she cooked and served uh, thousands and thousands of people, obviously promoting the image of her and uh, the product. And uh, continued, she lived in well into her 80s and continued in this role uh, all during that time. Um, and accumulating a great deal of wealth, which she then got involved in philanthropic activities, mm-hmm. uh, charities, passed a lot of it on. 
And uh, of late, her history has been, well, we say you can't erase history. But if you start denying it and, and uh, unpublishing it, you come close. Uh, Nancy Green was Aunt Jemima. Yeah. Aunt Jemima. Uh, and today, supposedly. And I love those pancakes. Yeah. You. Uh, and the syrup and, you know, yeah. they were breakfast items. Uh, and there are those that object to that. And uh, But why? Yeah, the company has uh, given up, has given, has thrown away, erased that from their product. And uh, as, as one that I think we should be celebrating and not erasing. Uh, and as I said, the connection with Rutherford County is that in every kitchen or dining room back in those days we all had a product or two yeah what gets so what gives those individuals the right to change things see, see that that's what really gets into my mind well the rights is the uh owner of the uh the contract the image which of course outlived her uh has the right but those people that are demanding the change, again, most of the time they don't have any idea what they're talking about. I think most yeah. people assume that was some kind of fictitious character uh, created yeah. to sell pancakes. And, uh, no, in fact, it was a very, very outstanding yeah. uh, woman who uh, long before the press for women in business was running uh, her own business and her image. They won't things to be done for their particular thoughts and, and it, uh, a classic example is the movie song of the south one of the greatest disney movies ever made and when i watch that movie my hero is, is uncle remus i mean i he has the most logical way of looking at everything and he is able to entertain the small children in in, in when they put a particular image on, on Uncle Remus that I don't see, I mean, you, you, you can turn anything into a negative-type situation. But I always enjoyed that movie so much because he can, he can do the rare rabbit, burr bear, burr fox, and, and he makes it so entertaining for me. Even at, at my age right now, I, I read all the Uncle Remus books to my kids, and they absolutely love it. When they get ready to go to bed, they say, Now, Daddy, I, w I want you to read about Br'er Rabbit or Br'er Fox or all that other stuff. And it was really more entertaining than going to the movies because we would create things in our minds that they would just absolutely love. And, and th th these people today... They don't have a mind for those type things. And that's what really bothers me because uh, this country was built on, on people's imagination and, and, and the things that what they were looking for to, to make their lives better. And, and these poor people today, they're pitiful. They really are pitiful. Uh, overly sensitive, perhaps. No, they're pitiful. They're pitiful. Yeah, they're pitiful. Maybe that's the same. Yeah, thing. I have, I, I have no use for that type of thinking. Well, I have mentioned several times that part of the pleasure of being county historian is people come to me with uh, information or stories or mm -hmm. sometimes uh, items, 
and I had that experience last week. Maybe we can share a little of it. We can save the rest of it for next week. But uh, the Bug family. Oh, I love that. Especially Margaret Bug. Oh, I loved her to death. She played a significant role in the county. Yeah, in the county election when uh, yeah. um, Mankin was uh, elected. And, uh, and I've always thought afterwards, you know, she would have been the best person for that job because she had been doing it for many, years. I was going to say, years. she was working as an employee of the county for many yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, she was the uh, chief yeah. deputy yeah. Uh, uh, under uh, McFarland. Well, Chuck Bug, who uh, he and I occasionally have breakfast together as a friend. Of course, his brother Kurt's also a good friend. Yeah. Uh, Chuck uh, uh, left town for a while and worked in Atlanta. I haven't seen him in a long time. Yeah, but he's recently come back. Now, his father also uh, would join us for breakfast every once in a while, a little breakfast group, and uh, he passed away. Uh, but Chuck moved back, and Chuck's son, Thomas, who I guess is still living in the Atlanta area, uh, was visiting and brought with him a copy of a collection of letters written by a Yankee soldier who was based for a while in uh, the Murfreesboro area. And uh, someone in the family had interpreted all of the handwriting, although he gave me also a copy of the handwriting, uh, and typed it up. And uh, we learn an awful lot from the, you know, the formal histories. But some of the best revelations of our history come from personal correspondence and personal mem- memoirs, as we call them. And uh, I flipped open to the first page, which was written from uh, his uh, home area, which was Fayetteville, Ohio. And uh, the, actually the second letter he wrote to his wife when he first went into what we would now call BASIC, which was up in uh, Ohio, uh, and uh, just told her how to write to him. And in her first letter, she commented on what was going on with respect to the war, uh, Lincoln's War, as many of them called it, and the local population in Ohio. And she said, about the draft, the most say they won't stand the draft. In other words, they're not going to uh, allow themselves to be drafted. And how they avoid that at the time, I'm not sure. But they just weren't going to stand for that. They weren't going to be forced into something. Pay somebody else to do it. Yeah. Uh, we don't know what the results will be for volunteering. There ain't much of that going on. To me, that reflects and confirms that there was very, very little support for Lincoln's war up in what we call the Midwest, Ohio, Illinois, and such. Mm -hmm. Although the ones from there were the ones that uh, were mostly in the Union armies in the what's called the Western Theater of the War were coming from that area. Uh, He writes in some of his, in one of his, and asks what happened to... uh, uh, Mr. Lynch and reading through trying to figure out who Lynch was Lynch was a hired recruiter who went around recruiting and the incentive to join was to pay and uh, 
then having recruited and gotten a bonus for the number of recruits, he disappears. And this fella, expecting that Mr. Lynch would be with him, uh, later apparently he did turn up, uh, is writing back, you know, what happened to Mr. Lynch? See if you can find this Lynch fella. Because he knew that Lynch had gotten a, a bonus for recruiting this fella, whose name was uh, Walter Gilbert, uh, but then disappeared. And as I read through the entire set of correspondence, all the way up to the last one, which is when he finally gets detailed out, uh, it's it repeatedly says, I'll send you money as soon as we get it, back to his wife and three kids. I'll send you the money just as soon as we get it. But he's still being promised next week, next month, uh, and he's been in for a year or so uh, all the way through it. Uh, uh, for instance, and uh, he came in after the Battle of Stones River, but was assigned to the base down here at Fort Rosecrans. And in... Uh, in the service? Yeah. He's, okay. he's in the military. Yeah. And uh, he says, we've not got our month's pay yet, nor I don't know as we will get it very soon. I think Lynch has acted very strange, promising us $42 down and that he was going to go with us if he had to go as a private, uh, but he certainly would be with us. And he got $800 for recruiting us, and then he stayed at home. Uh, and he, Now, that doesn't sound like anything unusual, does it? (laughs) (laughs) And he told his wife, he says, now, Lynch told us, this is the recruiter, that the women who are at home can draw directly Mm -hmm. and uh, that his wife should inquire if she can find this character, Lynch, about drawing directly. That apparently never happened because through the correspondence, she every time she writes a letter, and it's a constant because only about one out of three letters get delivered mm-hmm. or delivered in any timely manner. She's asking, you know, when are you going to be able to send us some money? And, uh, you know, we've not been uh, able to draw or don't even know who to go to to draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote in April 5th, 1863, it is generally believed that this war will close this summer. And I hope how soon it will close and let us get back home to our families. That's apparently part of the way they were recruited. Was you know, this is going to be a short, uh, uh, by this summer, this should be over and you can come back home. That was part of the recruitment. Uh, and you can see the, the uh, uh, incentive that was being offered there. It was financial. Uh, if you read Lincoln's writing, it's to save the Union. And if you listen to a lot of the talk now, it was to end slavery for this this individual and those that were from his area. It was a promise of money. Yeah. And uh, uh, and apparently a promise that was never really carried out. Isn't it funny how history is skewed so much in, in, in how we look at things as far as how they end, ended up and... In the, in the poor people that were involved. Uh, history, it, what, what, what's the old saying? History is meant to be written by the winners, not the losers. And then you can uh, pretty much uh, um, hold that true 
until you get into the year 2000s plus, and yeah. then everything changes. Well, uh, I think that's why I say these correspondence contemporary with the actual events can sometimes be very, very enlightening about what yeah. really was going on. And that was the point I was just making, uh, regardless of how history treats the uh, Union armies, it's clear from this that this fellow was essentially conned into going by a fellow working on commission, yeah. promised certain pay, which he never got. Now, he did. Uh, he was fortunate enough to be stationed in Rutherford County, and this is interesting. The first time he mentions it, uh, after he got out of his Ohio base original, his first stop was right here. And he said, we are stationed on Stone River. And I take note of the way it's spelled. It's Stone, no S. Yeah. We are stationed on Stone River, six miles from Murfreesboro. This is a nice place. We go fishing every day. We have good times now, but I don't know how long it will last. And then he goes on. We have not drawn any money yet, and we will not for at least two months, we're told. And if we did have the money, he's telling his wife, mm -hmm. it wouldn't be safe to send it home for the cars, meaning the railroad cars that move the mail, uh, are getting captured every few days. We have not had a fight yet, but we're expecting a fight every hour. We form in line battle every morning at 4 o'clock and stand ready until sunup. Uh, you can see I'm trying to keep the keep them keep them ready and trained, but uh, apparently he liked it here, because uh, this was well after the battle. Now later in the letter, and maybe next week we can read his description of the battlefield, because there were no cleanup crews. Yeah, to put it mildly, and uh, apparently the battlefield months after the end of the battle is is such a place that you don't even want to be close or nearby uh, with the horses and the stuff that have been left, carcasses and such. You but, know, even in pre-World War II, uh, the, the soldiers that came here to do a lot of their training, and I can barely remember some of it, um, they love this area. I mean, there, there's something like that... Um, it's almost like an escape to, to a, a, a different environment entirely. Well, different people have different reactions. I have read some personal accounts. In fact, one fellow was being uh, interviewed in Europe, mm -hmm. and he says, oh, this ain't too bad. I was in Tennessee. <clears throat> oh, you got to be kidding me. Uh, now, where'd you come up with that? I've never heard that one. Uh, and his complaint was the weather and the uh, bugs. Apparently, there's an awful lot of people from up north have never encountered ticks and chiggers. And he said he scratched his way through the, the sun and the rain. But You don't find many cedar trees up there. No, not many. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate the reference here by Gilbert to uh, them being, uh, the, the cars being captured every day or every few days. This is General Wheeler. Probably wasn't a general at the time, but Wheeler. Uh, harassed the area, the activity of the Union Army in the area between Nashville and uh, Murfreesboro, mm -hmm. constantly trying to interrupt the supply train and the uh, the, the 
uh, reinforcement movement and such. Yeah. And this fellow in his letter, although he never got in directly in combat himself, apparently every other day Wheeler was irritating him with either cutting the railroad line or capturing railroad cars or stopping supply lines. Yeah. And that was Wheeler's uh, assignment. And I believe there are more markers for Wheeler's activity uh, between here and uh, Nashville. I think there's four than any other topic. Uh, so he was very active and apparently having some effect. He goes on. It's a beautiful morning here this morning. And looking around Mr. over. Mr. Rogers. Was that Mr. Rogers? <laughs> no. uh, to me, it was interesting that someone. Uh, recruited on false premises, sent off, and we, we'll get to some of the consequences here, uh, is still writing back home about how pretty it is and how much they're enjoying. He says, it's a beautiful morning here this morning. This is the 20th of April, 1863. And in looking around over God's beautiful landscape, it brings to mind many sweet thoughts of home. We are in camp about six miles from Murfreesboro on the Stone Rivers, the boys has a great time fishing. They catch some very good fish. Uh, and then he goes on about this harassment that uh, we're looking for an attack here just any day. The rebel cavalry, that's Wheeler, scouting around here. We have a large force here, some 2,000 troops, and we're strong fortified. But the rebel cavalrymen this morning uh, were shooting at some of our uh, positions. So, yeah, the Wheeler was keeping them on their toes, at, at least. Now, is there going to be a book written? Are, are you uh, 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 working with him as far as uh, maybe having a book published about some of this? Because it's, it's extremely interesting to me. Uh, it probably will be included in the next book that I'm working on. Uh, and there's enough here to to give a sense of what it was like to be waiting in Fort Rosecrans mm -hmm. between the time that the Stones River battle ended, which was first of the year, yeah, and when they finally moved out, which was in the early fall, September, October, and went on down Chickamauga and the, the, down that way. Uh, and I learned for the first time that there was a camp set up in the Murfreesboro area called the convalescent camp. The reason being that a substantial number of the Union uh, personnel got sick. And you stop and think about it, back in those days, they probably didn't understand much about uh, infection control. Yeah. This fellow ended up in the convalescent camp. And when uh, uh, the uh, Rosecrans and the uh, army moved south he didn't go and he and a big number of those from Fayetteville Ohio a big percentage didn't go because they were all sick and had been shifted over to this convalescent camp and eventually were sent back to Ohio and reassigned uh, even though they were declared not fit for uh, active service the army would not discharge them and would send them back for uh, other type of duty, keep them in. And as best I can tell from his comment, he never got paid anything 
for his time in the service. Now, our, you've read this, I presume, a couple of times all the way through. Uh, do you have a, a particular um, way that, that you're going to present this? Because th- this is this is an extremely interesting. I want to buy one of them when, when you when you get through. Well, uh, it'll probably be a good year and a half before the next book is available. Yeah. Just knowing the turnaround time. Do you have uh, any idea what the title is going to be? So I know there's a lot of people listening right now that, that would love to purchase that. Uh, my wife is working on the title. And prob- well, so it'll be very well done. Yeah, and probably uh, the, a cover to go with it. Yeah. But, uh, uh, we were talking about the other day, uh, I, I thought... Rutherford Revival might be a little too strong. No, I don't like that. <laughs> uh, just just let her select it. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's probably the way we'll go. But, uh, well, I'll save some of this for the next time we get together. But uh, uh, it's almost every letter. We yeah. have not drawn our money yet, but I guess we'll get it the 1st of Did June. Did they have schools up in Ohio at that time? Uh, I'm not sure education was required. Oh, okay. And every time he refers to uh, combat, it's fit, F-I-T. We ain't fit yet. You well, got, that's pretty much a common word uh, you know, across the country during that Yeah, that would, Davy time. Crockett used the same, yeah, yeah. same phrase. Yeah. All right. Well, is, is that the entire uh, uh, show t- this morning? No, I'm going to leave you a few minutes here at the end to take it wherever you want it to go. Well, the, the, the trouble is you ran out of time. You, you hit right on the edge. Right on the edge. Yeah, but I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and, I, and I'm so glad that, that you're back because uh, I, I have missed it. I really have. Well, I'm and, back. and you'd be surprised how many people have called me and, and, and want to know when we're going to be back on. Well, I'm back because you're back. It's the first Monday since they turned you loose. Yeah, but it, it, it seems like all these subjects that we would have been uh, uh, given to the, all the listeners, they've enhanced because, you know, when Reese, when uh, Rick Sane came by to see me, he said, Truman, I can actually speak legally without even worrying about being sued right now. Because I have been pushing this for a long time to see how in the world could we be so um, uh, badly abused here in Rutherford County? Uh, because that was one of the favorite shops that we've ever had at yeah. a small business in Rutherford County. And uh, it was interesting. It was, it's like monopolies really do exist because... I, I, I was looking for a, a place to, to go to after they left, and and the only correspondence I was getting from was from these major drug companies across the country, and and finally I hooked on to Terry's Pharmacy, who Jamie Mason does a great job over there, and I am and I think in a lot of ways things are getting back to normal, but. I, you know, could you be the, the, the one attorney that would represent all of us when things go awry here here in our community? No. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of work, Trevin. Yeah. I'm retired. <laughs> Bless your heart. 
Well, right. I, I know we've run out of time. Well, a reminder to those people down in Smyrna, you may have still uh, one more chance to get a good donut. Um, it's not completely out of business, is it? it it's, it's, it may be now. It was in the process of closing. But that sounds like something that would be perfect. You, you know, you, when you drive in, you've got a donut and... What's the name of that place? Is donuts and everything else as you're coming in, uh, I, I guess, off the Woodbury Highway, if you come in that particular direction. Yeah. And, and you go by it in, in the morning in that place. You, it, it's it's a block and a half long for people to get their donuts. And uh, I didn't really realize that right that was there a at the corner of the old Mercury Plaza. Yeah, yeah. In fact, we drove by there the other day, the Mercury Plaza, and my wife remarked how sad it looks. And how, and then I told her about how I could remember when it was oh, just the place to go. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it is sad now. Yeah, but things change. It may come around again. Yeah, it will. All right, guys. Thoroughly enjoyed it this morning. Glad Greg's back, and uh, it, it uh, the fun time has began again. We'll see. We'll see you in the morning. We got Phil Barnett on, who is one of your buddies, and in. Phil is one of those people who reaches out to the entire community. He loves everybody. He's been through uh, times that I've been through and others have been through, but uh, I can't wait to see him in the morning. Thank you. You take care. From Sylvan Park Restaurant on Northwest Broad Street, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming online at WGNSRadio.com.